Welcome to the Inside Events Podcast, brought to you by Swapcard. There's no better time to have exclusive conversations with the industry professionals who are reshaping the events industry. We're bringing you inside knowledge from industry leaders. Let's get started with your host, Megan Powers. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode eight of the Inside Events Podcast by Swapcard. My guest today to chat news is familiar with Swapcard. Uh, he is a general manager at Swapcard, Matthew Donegan Ryan. Hello, how are you today? Yeah, thanks, Megan. I'm great. Thanks for uh, asking me to join today. Absolutely. So this is super meta for me because I'm recording a podcast at an event that's a podcasters conference. So well, I hope event. you've been picking up some uh, some new skills while you're down there. <laughs> Oh, of course. I, everything's percolating. I, I keep I keep getting ideas for things um, to do uh, to ch make changes on um, both my podcast and I even have a new podcast idea. So, oh. um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I've created more work for myself since I've been well, here. Um, it's all good. Looking it is forward to subscribing to the next one too. <laughs> well, it's a, it's gonna be a sports podcast, so a deviation from from business. Yeah. About but, about what's the what's the topic? What sports? So particular? I am I'm kicking around calling it uh, my take this week, and so mm -hmm. it'll be basically about anything. Whether we're talking about the baseball scandal, whether we're talking about my uh, football team losing the the big game a couple weeks ago, or <laughs> tennis. I I'm a huge I'm just a huge sports nut. So oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. So, and we are recording this on Valentine's Day too. So, um, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Same to you. <laughs> All right. So, I'm going to read your bio. So, he is, as I said, general manager at Swapcard, which is empowering face-to-face -face meetings at events through artificial intelligence-powered apps. Matthew Donigan Ryan has been a pioneering entrepreneur in the event industry since 2005. He has a history of creating and growing innovative event technology businesses and spurring widespread adoption by meeting professionals. Matthew has helped lead two previous companies to successful acquisitions, uh, Crowd Compass by Cvent and Thriva by Acton Network, uh, which was then also later acquired by Vista. So we know that the, uh, the acquisition story, we've talked about, about that before on this show. In terms of news, the... Uh, you know, like Pac-Man thing that's happening. I, I that'll <laughs> yeah, work. gobbling up all gobbling the up. all the innovative yeah. startups. Yeah. The, the video people who watch the video will get that. The audio that doesn't <laughs> using your hands <laughs> play well on an audio podcast. So my apologies. That I was making the Pac-Man um, move with my hand. <laughs> all right. So we're going to talk news. The elephant in the room is coronavirus, and um, really. It, it, just dominating the news for our industry right now. And it's super important to talk about, I think. And one article that stood out to me, which I don't totally agree with everything they say, so this will be an interesting conversation. Um, in PC Magazine, the name of the article is Fear Kills a Great Trade Show, The Death of Mobile World Congress 2020. So it, it was just, you know, they canceled it on the 12th, so like 12 days before. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is huge. And of course, I think he's in media and he's, he's upset. He thinks this, I mean, and it's true. It's, it is going to cause a ripple, not, not just like for us in events, which that's a thing too. And we can talk about that. Um, but, but for that industry, because that's a very much a mobile phones, like people want to touch them. Like very few mobile phones just get ordered online because people yeah. want 
it's, it's a very tactile experience, especially if you're switching yeah. from, you know, Samsung or Apple to one of the smaller players, you're not going to do it unless you can actually see and feel the phone or, or at least read a publication of a journalist that has given you their opinion on it. Right. No question. Yeah. And so um, the, the company that I'm going to read the, the quote from the company that uh, plans the event, um, which GSNA. Yeah. Um, yeah. With due regard to the safe and healthy environment in Barcelona and the host country today, the GMSA has canceled MWC Barcelona 2020 because the global concern regarding the coronavirus outbreak, travel concern, and other circumstances make it impossible for the GSMA to hold the event. Now, when I when I was first seeing all this news, it was before I had seen the announcement that it got canceled. Um, but I kept seeing that companies kept dropping off. I mean huge like 40 different companies had canceled on them and so it's one of those things where like i get being upset that it's canceled but when amazon cisco ericsson facebook yeah. intel nokia lg you know when all these companies aren't sony aren't going to be there it's like well then who who are you having it for yeah well it, it it's like the decision was made for them it's not it's not like they they had the choice of, of hosting it or not. If your um, key exhibitors aren't there, the, the people the journalists want to see and the attendees want to see um, and the other, the smaller suppliers want to partner with, if they're not there, you know, you don't have a show. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was sad, but, but I don't know. So, but anyway, so, and so here's a quote from the author is Sasha Segan. This cancellation is a huge loss. It's a huge loss for the industry, for innovation and for 5G. And it's, and it isn't going to save any lives. The hysteria over the new COVID virus outside China appears to be the shark week of epidemiology, playing up a low risk threat into screaming terror because it has a scary face, in this case, the face of China, a newly terrifying enemy of all things Western. Now that's like so loaded. <laughs> I mean, that's a, he says a lot in these yeah. two sentences, but, um, and I, I hear what he's saying and I agree that really it's, it's about, it's more about fear. I mean, only, and the thing is like, yeah, only two people in Spain have been diagnosed with this. And, and they weren't even on mainland Spain. I believe they were oh, really? Mallorca, Mallorca and the Canary Islands, I think. Oh, okay. Even more so. But it is, <laughs> I think it's like, it's that uh, all the people coming in from everywhere and potentially bringing it with them, kind of a scenario too, which is part of the fear. Yeah. And I think, you know, being, being, um, that a lot of the attendees are Asian and from China, there's potentially a bit of racism there as well. You know, it's yeah. like if you go to the, the airport in any major city or get on the subway, you're going to be exposed to a lot of different people who have, who have traveled around the world. And, you know, with the big, big companies, somebody like Amazon not wanting to risk any of their employees right, uh, exactly. get, getting sick. Um, it, just, it just forces the hand of the, the organizers. But, you know, the organizers, they waited until, you know, 11, 12 days before the event to cancel it. It's not like they had more information um, at that point of time than they did a week before that or, or two weeks before that. The, Actually, the only thing. That, <laughs> yeah, they did have yeah. more information. They had information on companies not showing up. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, yeah, but yeah. There, there wasn't more information about a cure for the disease or, or spread um, within right. Europe. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's all down to the... Uh, the exhibitors canceling. Right. No, no doubt. Um, yeah, I, I do feel really bad for Barcelona though. Cause that's like that millions of dollars. Cause you know, we talk about the trickle down effect, right? Like the, 
from the housekeeper to the taxi driver to all those food servers, all those people, um, the city's going to miss out on, you know, millions of dollars in revenue. Yeah, the, the estimate I saw was 500 million, which I definitely believe, you know, 100, 100 plus thousand people coming into town for, you know, four or five days. Right. Uh, all that spending <laughs> adds up. And also, if you think about um, potential waste, you know, I'm sure a, a lot of food and, and other supplies were shipped in for the events and what's going to, you know, can those be used? Will they expire? Um, you know, hopefully it doesn't generate, you know, obviously when you have a trade show, there's waste generated, but we don't want additional waste that doesn't have uh, utility occurring as well. Right. That's a good point, actually, and a great segue into our next <laughs> article. Well done. Um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, our guest on the show today is Tahira Endine, and she had an article published um, by MPI last week. We have a distribution challenge, and we can fix it. Um, and this, the that idea of all these things that that food that gets wasted, and yeah, like you just said, like I wonder what they're going to do with all that food potentially hopefully they read Tahira's article and they're going to donate it <laughs> you should forward it to them <laughs> <laughs> um so basically um she goes through all the different elements of, of an event that kind of you know like contribute to waste of it it's but she's you know she's got solutions so she talks about rethinking waste um, not just minimizing it, but like, can you actually use the whole product? So when you talk about veggies and stuff, like, do you really, you know, you can use the whole veggie and, you know, kind of getting creative, right? Um, rethinking how much we actually need. Can you cut out a meal and then actually make that a CSR thing and then donate that money maybe to a local food bank um, or whatnot? And, and I want to ask her about site selection because I think that that's important. But do you remember, I, like, I remember the days of when, before the law, because there's a law in place now that, that you can, if it hasn't been served already, you can donate it. Yeah. Uh, but I remember that being um, an issue before that law got put like, oh, well, there's nothing we can do. We have to throw it away. Yeah. They, the restaurants and the hotels didn't want to take on that liability. Right. And I know here, and I'm in Seattle and here in Seattle, there were some um, organizations that would go and collect the food and then they would take on the liability. So the restaurants and venues had no problem giving them the food. But now, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of areas of the world, you're, you're either it's legal to give away the food and, and you're waived of any responsibility. And in some places it's even a crime to, to throw away food. Oh, that's, see, that's a, fl that's flips that on its head, right? <laughs> yeah. that's, I love that. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Which all comes back to thinking about planning better. And how, how much do we actually need and, and really um, doing a good job of, of knowing what our attendees want and kind of working that into the, and I think if you make it, like I said, a, a corporate social responsibility, a CSR thing too, then that also is good. I think it, it spreads goodwill and it sparks a little, like, I think it'll give, give a little dopamine hit, right, for the attendees like that, oh, we're doing something for the community or, or whatever without having to actually do anything just by not eating yeah. a meal. <laughs> yeah. They, they <laughs> and one thing that's tough for planners is, you know, you go to a different venue every year for your conference and often you don't have that, you know, the, the, the food and beverage data from one venue when you leave, you get a bill and, and you get the total amount of each type of meal that you paid for, but not necessarily what was consumed. 
So when you go to the, the different hotel, you don't really have any numbers knowing, okay, well, the vegetarian was more popular than we thought. Let's order more vegetarian, maybe cut down on red meat. Um, so if you can if you can actually get that data from your F&B manager, you can help make better decisions at future events as well. That's such a good point. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's, that is really um, interesting. For sure, that should be part of, of the logistics part of the process for uh, for post show um for planners to get from their venues yeah because if you look at um you know i've worked a good bit in music festivals and at music festivals you're selling your food so it's it's tracked exactly right um so it's a lot easier to know you know if i'm if i'm serving a, a light beer and a, a couple craft beers and, uh, and a you know an alcoholic spritzer you know exactly how many of each type of drink was sold, and then you can adjust your your numbers for next year. But when you're not selling the food, you're just placing it out there. You don't know what was wasted and what was consumed often. Right, unless you make that part of the plan, like yeah. just like you're recycling, just <clears throat> like you you're composting. You know, a lot of these convention centers, I know, like San Francisco, San Diego, um, they've made that a huge part of what they're doing. So, um, so that's I love that. Interesting. All right. Well, today we're talking about intentional event design with the incomparable Tahira Endine. So I'm sure she'll have some insight for us um, with regard to both of these topics. And so let's cut to our second half with our guest. Okay. Hey, so I'm really excited to introduce our guest for the show, Tahira Endine. Welcome, welcome. Hello. I, I love this woman. She is one of the smartest people I know. And um, I've had her on my other podcast. Actually, I've had her on two other podcasts um, <laughs> before. And uh, now that it's exclusively, this is an exclusively events podcast, it makes perfect sense to have to hear on to talk about intentional event design. Um, I'm going to read her bio. She has all the, all the letters after her name, she's all the things, CMP, DES, CED, VIP. All right, <laughs> Tahira Endine, writer, speaker, connector, collaborator. Tahira is designing people-centric, purpose-driven events and living in Vancouver, British Columbia. She is head of events at Site Global, the Society for Incentive Travel Excellence, if you don't know. The more complicated the event seems, the more useful she will be to you. Developing events for our industry peers allows her to bring creative energy to events and use the combination of ubiquitous technology, love that, and human nature to create relevance for our participants. Tahira's book, Intentional Event Design, Our Professional Opportunity, was written from two decades of experience producing events, designing environments where trust is nurtured, driving growth for participants and organizations. And that, and I'll just give it now, the intentionaleventdesign.ca. Um, is her website, so you can go and uh, and grab that off the interwebs, and I highly recommend it. I just taught a class on using events to build your digital brand, and I had a whole slide dedicated to <laughs> tips from intentional event design, and I talked. The talk was around, well, many things. I had to for hundreds of people with varying backgrounds, right? I was so you never know, like kind of where people are, but I felt like it was important to. Um, to at least touch on those things that you, um, you know, bulleted at some point in the book as, as, as most important. Um, but okay, so I want to start out like it might sound obvious, but 
can you tell our listeners what is intentional event design? Well, for me, it's about actually thinking about what the purpose is when we're doing events. I mean, it's really not more complicated than that. So when I wrote it, it was it's a couple of years now, um, but it was really about the things that we should be doing that there wasn't really anything being written about. So there's, you know, blog posts and things around, but really just looking at how do we use space thoughtfully? How do we design for our stakeholders from the very beginning? It is about how do we integrate technology in a way that still keeps things really human? And how do we keep people feeling well and healthy through our events? And how do we do it sustainably? We have this one planet that we're gonna live on, so we need to figure out how to do that better. So really just looking at holistically creating events where people are energized throughout. Um, you know, I have to tell you, it's fun. We just did our site global conference in Vancouver and you know, it, had, it was fantastic. I smiled for three days, but what I really smiled about was that from the opening session on Saturday afternoon to the closing session on Monday afternoon, we still retained more than 90% of our audience. Wow. So really a testament to people wanting to still be part of the dialogue, which was so happy making. <laughs> yes, for sure. Do you have any data on uh, how that compares to previous years? I think you can compare that to any conference you've ever been in in your entire lifetime. <laughs> I know that that's yeah. really good. <laughs> I know it's really high, but I, but I just yeah. like, it like numbers nerd sometimes where I like to. Yes. I don't like to make make the numbers happen, but I like to know what they are. <laughs> right? And how yes. changed. Yeah, I think, uh, honestly, in 27 years of doing events across all sectors, um, it, that's really rare. Right. right. So it's, um, it's good. I was really happy to see that people, they stayed because they wanted to still stay. You know, they were still, and we hadn't worn them out so much over the two days, even though, you know, we had breakfast meetings and evening events that but we had really tried to create a balance and, you know, good food and rest and reflection times and, and it worked. <laughs> so. That is awesome. Fabulous. Matthew, you got a question for us? Yeah. Um, Tira, I read your article in uh, NPI recently, though we have a distribution challenge and we can fix it. Um, this notion of, of getting to zero hunger, uh, I, I think it's a fantastic idea. I was wondering what tips do you have to planners um, when they're doing their site selection to help them meet this distribution challenge? Well, I think we, it's a, it's a shared challenge. So I think, you know, as planners, we can say we have 300 people coming, but what does that actually translate to in pounds of food? And, you know, and what's the right food that we're, that we're serving? And, you know, so it's starting with working with the, the destination, you know, what, where can you go that actually has local seasonal food um, as part of their practices? And, then the venues that you're choosing, how are they managing their food and their food waste and um, minimizing waste to start with, um, redistributing food that has you know been prepared but never served, um, and actually looking at and again back to you know um, Megan's data, what are people actually eating? You know, so it's like it's great to have you know quinoa salad, but if you make eight vats of quinoa salad and regularly two get eaten, then do you need to adjust those quantities or the same with protein or whatever it might be? And I think that, you know, this, it is a global issue. And I think for us to say as event planners, you know, how it really is one small step at a time. It's really looking at what are people eating? 
how much are they, how much are we actually feeding them and how often do they need to really eat you know we really do we, <laughs> yeah. you know breakfast break lunch break yes. reception like dinner dog. yeah i eat more <laughs> than i ever do simply because it's there so i think you're yeah excited. yeah and you're i don't think eat. i've ever had a lack of food at a conference <laughs> No, and you have food that's left over and food that, you know, just sort of, you know, it appears and then it disappears. And so it's about, you know, it's about a lot of things. It's about, you know, about guarantees. It's about selection. It's, you know, we have this whole new, you know, we had 600 people and 134 dietary allergies and preferences. Um, and that's the norm. You know, 20 to 30 percent is the norm. Um, I was just at another event this week that had 40% vegetarians, except that there's some vegetarians who will eat vegetables and bacon and some who are pescatarians and some who will eat chicken and a vegetarian you know, so... who will eat bacon. Yes. <laughs> well, I can tell you my, my <laughs> wife is a vegetarian and when she lived in the South, a lot of the vegetarian meals came with bacon and <laughs> she was yeah. not, a, not very happy with that. <laughs> no, cause it doesn't make any sense, but you know what I mean? It's also, you know, but then it's also where are those vegetables coming from, you know, if all of it, if we're having tomato salad, but all those tomatoes are coming to Canada from Mexico or from, you know, I think for me, one of the big statistics was, you know, we, we would, I think all agree that one of the areas most affected by hunger is Africa as a continent. And I remember one of the big numbers from the Icelandic volcanoes. So we were stuck in stuck. We were stuck in Paris. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> it's like I know five extra days in Paris. Whatever will oh. I do while we're staying in our friend's apartment? <laughs> so, um, but you know, I re remember one of the statistics being that there was, you know, it meant that where we were, there was a hundred thousand pounds of fruit and vegetables that was not able to be flown in on a daily basis from Africa. So we have a continent of people who could use more food and a country that is accepting 100,000 pounds of that food on a weekly basis. So that's a distribution challenge. So those are the kinds of things I think that we need to think about fundamentally. Yeah, that's that's a that's cra crazy step like that. <laughs> and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't think of Africa as exporting food like that but um and they like us are not exactly feeding their people maybe in the ways that they should um so yeah we could do a whole show on that but uh so my next question for you is um now and i'm gonna ask you to not use your show that you just did as an example since you already <laughs> talked about it but yep. i wanted to um it can you give us an example of um of the best intentional event design being put into practice that you've experienced recently other than your own other than the one that we just did yeah um, i'm not gonna let you be a homer <laughs> no no that's it's all good um you know we go to so many things that feel kind of same same so i think you know for me one of the big things is when we start seating people and there's this you know we have this propensity that everything has to be a round of eight or a round of ten and they're completely useless for conversation in either case. Um, you can't talk to any, you know, you can talk to maybe two people away on a round of eight or 10. You can't talk to the people across the table. Um, so you miss a lot of conversations. So anywhere that I go where there's either places to flow through for conversation or where there is a round of five or six as the standard um, are the places that I'm finding that I'm enjoying the most because you're getting the most out of them. Fantastic. Yeah. It, it just, you just brought to mind 
a, a wedding, the head table at a wedding. I've always thought that was the craziest setup <laughs> because I can only talk to the people who are right next to me. I can't even look, I can't even see the bride and groom. Like it's so yeah. silly. Yeah. So um, I like that as a, as a thing. And I, and I talked about that, you know, getting creative with seating is, I don't know, it just, it, it sparks a little extra something too, I think in our brains, right. To like, we, we learn differently, don't we? And it's sitting in different um, ways. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're, yeah, your brain just wakes up a little bit. Yeah. I think the other thing that we're starting to see a lot more of, um, which is great. So there's a lot of, you know, sort of traditional icebreakers, but I think sort of um, any kind of, I'm going to call it a non-traditional icebreaker, but just anything that gets you up and moving and, and talking to people um, in a different way is, um, you know, even funny things like having people all stand up and, you know, first you have to whisper hello. So you whisper it and then you say hello. And you know, then you have to say hello to someone beside you and make eye contact and, you know, then you have to say hello as if you were your favorite animal. Um, so it's all that happens is people start laughing because it's so ridiculous. Um, but what that laughter does is it actually opens up your mind to learning. It starts to get those brain chemicals going that allow us to be open to learning. So um, it, it might take a minute and cut into your speaker's time by one minute, um, but they're going to get a lot more out of the next 19 minutes, for example. That's so. awesome. Yeah, I. Uh... I had, I attended a session at IMAX that had, we had a break in the middle. We did laugh yoga. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, to hear if we can just uh, shift a little bit, I was going to ask you about the, the state of uh, event tech and what's your opinion on where we are in terms of either innovation or, or lack of innovation. <laughs> you know, so I went to Australia in December to speak about event technology. And as the day that I was finishing my presentation, a tweet came up from Julius and we can all agree that, you know, Julius and the event manager blog really, they've spent a lot of time delving into event technology and research around it. And the tweet was basically like, there's nothing new. So, <laughs> you know, we're making small incremental iterations. And I was like, oh, thank God, it's not just me. Um, but it, it's true. And, uh, you know, so I think we're, we're starting to see a lot of things that now, um, but, you know, so let's just use the today's real life example of, you know, when are cameras good or bad? Didn't we just have a baseball example this week of maybe, you know, this, you, you know, this thing that we have everywhere cameras is maybe not such a good thing because it can nest, you know, we can use them for so many different good or not good purposes. Um, I think that with technology in general, things like facial recognition can be great when it's done well because it really can save a lot of time. And it can scare people because it feels like, oh my God, there's facial recognition. Now the people who are scared by it are also often the same people who have global access where you have retinal scans to get you through things. Um, you know, and who ha are happy when you want to tag your friends on Facebook or Instagram and the names come up automatically. That's just simple facial recognition. That's, that's just the way the world is. So we should be stop being scared of it and just make everything easier with technology. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of good engagement with platforms um can i say platform names sure <laughs> you know platforms like slido have just made it probably the easiest ever to you know get a group in a room to easily engage and without a lot of barriers um and to ask really good real-time questions uh, more simply than a lot of other platforms have done uh and so we have the opportunity i think to take some of these incremental changes um, and also that, you know, we have that balance between convenience and accessibility versus security. 
Um, you know, so it's really how do we balance those things so that people are comfortable. Um, you know, I know with Expo Logic, who's been doing facial recognition, the way that the faces are recognized essentially becomes a pixelated image that disappears into 400 million bytes um, on the back end so that they're not actually storing your picture. They're storing a combination of pixels that look like your picture if that makes any technical sense yeah. <laughs> you know but there's some but there's some things like that where there's you know these security parameters in place for that um and then i think you know what my favorite thing probably is traffic cam which is uh, an app you put on your phone you can take pictures you take pictures when you're in hotel rooms but what that's doing is allowing a database to be collected that's helping stop um, human trafficking because oh, now cool. what's if somebody sends up a picture and says i'm being held in this room there is now a data bank of places um, where people can, can, you know, so there's a data bank basically of, of hotel rooms around the world um, where people can be held. Um, and, and they're not being held in, they're, they're being held in places that are very standard places and big brands and all, you know, everyone's, everyone has this issue. Um, so the traffic cam allows a faster data bank to be collected basically. So I think that's cool use of, meeting and event people traveling around the world and using technology. No doubt. Wow, that's really cool. I'm gonna have to check that out. It's an app. Yeah, it's an app and it's called Traffic Cam. Like T-R-A-F-I-C-K Cam, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's great. That I like, my, the marketer in me goes to SEO right away too, right? Like <laughs> people are gonna find that even though they were maybe looking for something else um, and then um, get exposed to, to that. That's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, we, again, we could do a whole show on the, of that issue, but we shall move on. So, um, all right, all things being equal, if a planner is experiencing resistance from their leadership on making what? changes, <laughs> <laughs> I know that never happens, uh, on um, making changes towards being more intentional, like room design, for example, like we talked about, um, what's your advice? for for that planner that's that's coming up against that i think i think just don't try to do everything at once you know so as much as you might want to make 12 changes make two changes and and track their and track it and see how it works um and watch what people's response is uh ask about it in evaluations and when you're testing something take that leadership to to show them what's working about it you know look here's this space that you were concerned about what this space you know, I'll give you an example of, you know, a few years ago, we did a session that was, and I just put one of the sessions into a hallway, basically, nothing fancy, but it was just, you know, a session that happened in a hallway. Um, and it's in the Vancouver Convention Center, they have um, these tables, like, essentially like a chair with a table on it, that, but there's 54 of them, you can roll them into any configuration. Um, you know, so we put up a screen, had these chairs, and then standing room pedestal tables behind them. So sometimes, there was 30 people sitting in those chairs and sometimes there was a hundred people standing at those sessions. Um, and, and it worked for everything, you know, it was really good. I'll give you another example. I'm going to just go back to the one I just did, but That's okay. we, we had, um, we did a session with the quiet headphones. So the night before we had used them in a silent disco format. Um, and it was fantastic because, um, I, I, I wasn't sure it was going to work. Honestly, they wanted to show it. I'm like, okay, let's, you know, I'm not sure that this group will do that, but you know, we ended up in the, you know, the final half of the evening, the dance floor being packed with people doing silent disco, 
that wasn't the important part. The important part was at least 10 people came up to me the next day and said, thank God we were able to talk to each other last night because we weren't trying to compete with the band or have a big DJ over the room. So the people who wanted the music and dancing could still do that. We used the same headphones, like a different format, like now the conference version of those headphones. The next day, we took our general sessions out of the ballroom and put our main sessions onto an industry stage, but in the foyer space. And we did that because it's January and you wanted some natural light and I didn't want to just lock people in the ballroom the whole time. So we had one speaker who came up. So the first speaker was Dave Merrill and he's just like headphones. Cool. I've never done this. Like, let's try it. You know, and he does a session on design, which he, you know, he, we see him around and his sessions are always great. And, and he'd never done it before. And he just totally embraced it. It was like, okay, this is cool. Like that was really interesting because here's the thing people put on headphones. You're, you're talking into their ears. You're right. You're, you're in their head. They're not looking at their phones. They're not talking to each other. They're focused on the speaker. The next speaker who came up and I won't mention who this is, but he was, first of all, he was a little bit rude to my very lovely program staff member because he's like, I, I didn't know about this. I'm not doing it because my session is very interactive and it just won't work if people are on headphones. And at the time it was pretty quiet in the foyer. We're like, okay, you know what? Don't use the headphones. Like, you know, if I can't make you, I can't make you. We've got speakers. It's fine. Well, what happens is his session is the one that's right before lunch. So now what starts to happen is all the people start to edge in towards lunch. It starts to get very noisy. Nobody, you know, he's now yelling at his audience instead of, he doesn't have his audience interacting anyhow, you know, cause you know, when you have an interactive session like that, that's a 30 minute session, you might say a few sentences to each other, but it's not like a workshop session. Right. So, you know, so the whole thing just kind of fell apart on that speaker and it's, but it's kind of his own fault because he had this opportunity to have a really focused audience because here's the thing. So if I have a really focused audience with the headphones on and now I still want you to maybe interact, I can just say, Hey, just move aside your headphone for a second. Talk to the person beside you. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, without it being too disruptive actually. Um, And that it could have been really effective. So it's just, you know, so we test these things. Right. Um, And honestly, for every other speaker where people were wearing the headphones, it was awesome. And, the other people in the room loved that they could walk past and see people engaged. And I, I can't tell you how many times now, because here's every hotel that went by said, Oh my God, I now have another way to sell a breakout in my space. Right. right. So just test things and, and see if they work. Yeah. So. Well, we had Brian Fanzo on episode six. I'm with Adam Perry and we talked about that and his, as a keynote, um, and, and he does, he does smaller stages too, but, for him, it was, he, he's cool with it. He just wants to know he wants to be prepared. So maybe totally. that was the thing probably with that speaker, like threw him off a little bit. Yeah. But you know, you and I both speak all the time. Sometimes you just got to be like, okay. Roll with <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, sure. the hardest one for me was when I went to present in Turkey and then realized, oh my God, I actually really need to slow down because they're translating everything into Turkish on the, from this stage. <laughs> so, which they hadn't mentioned ahead of time. So. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, to hear, I wanted to ask you about your role with Site Global. Uh, I, I love attending sites events. It seems like every planner you meet there has the the biggest budget per attendee that you'll <laughs> you'll find in our industry. Um, I imagine you have some pretty unique challenges uh, with your events there. I was wondering if you could share uh, one or two of those with us. <laughs> well, let's see. Planning events for planners with the biggest budgets in the universe. Yes, that could be. No, it's. Um... <laughs> Do you know uh, what I love about Site? And I started a year ago. And so the first event I went to was uh, in Bangkok and our global conference. And what I found actually was that 
people were just really nice. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily expecting them to be as nice as they are. I've been going to industry events for a long time. And it really is, it's an interesting community. It's, you know, it's the smallest association, but it really is one that has really built uh, uh, we're here for you sort of community. And it's really nice in that way. The, the challenges come from how do we always create something that is going to show them something they haven't seen before in a destination that they've probably been to. So the events I'm responsible for are just our global portfolio, not our chapter portfolios. And so, you know, we'll be in Davos. Well, they've probably been to Davos or at least Switzerland. So what can we show them that's new? Um, and then really just how do we stay ahead of the education curve so that we're, you know, they're going to go to a lot of things, particularly our buyers have the opportunity to go to many um, educational opportunities through the year. So how can we really be taking things that are going to combine a level of personal and professional uh, knowledge that are going to leave them wanting to come back. So it's, um, but on the flip side of that, I also get a lot of trust put in me um, to be able to deliver. You know, they, they, it was a pretty rigorous hiring process. Uh, and so I get some latitude to, to test things and try things. That was part of the reason that I was hired, I think was because they knew that I would probably push things a little bit. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah, I'm really lucky. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, well, I would trust you too, so. so <laughs> I would. I mean, obviously I already said you're one of the smartest people I know, so that's like a no brainer. But um, okay, so uh, before we let you go, I wanna be conscious of your time. I just real quick wanted to ask, because um, in the news section we talked about the coronavirus and very large scale events getting canceled. Um, and it's, it's really having this ripple effect and the biggest piece is fear. Um, what did you come across at can some cancellations or what, what, what kind of, how did that play into your event last week? No. Um, so three weeks ago, no, it didn't. Uh, last week, oh, uh, no, but I'm going to just say last yeah. week I was, um, uh, at another event where they had a number of their international delegations cancel um, because they weren't able to travel. Uh, this is going to have an effect for a long time. There's just, there's no way around it. It's, um, you know, I think as a, as a association that focuses on travel, we have to show resilience and we have to show how it can be done. Uh, had a really interesting conversation this morning um, with, the CEO of in-house physicians. And, you know, of course their work is providing doctors and medical care for large conferences. And they've been doing that for 30 years. And, you know, so a lot of the, their work comes in preparing people for medical, um, you know, what shots do you need before you go to X country, those kinds of things. Um, you know, the simplest thing that we can do is to get people to understand that the most important things that we can probably do are wash our hands with soap and water for, you know, sing happy birthday twice um, and stop hugging all of our friends. You know, that's, those are two really big things. The, the reality is, is that as much of, as it is, a, you know, at what we would consider sort of epidemic proportions right now, it's not nearly as um, dangerous as just getting the regular flu. Right. Exactly. <laughs> You know, so it really is about getting over that fear that the challenge that we are really going to have is that in the meetings and event industry is that 
as we saw with Mobile World Congress, the reason that they're canceling is because 40% of the companies have just put a ban on any non-essential travel and a trade show is not considered essential travel. So that's gonna have a ripple effect on our industry for a long time. We're gonna run into a lot of you know, force majeure, cancellation insurance increases. Um, all of those things are gonna to start to happen and uh, it's gonna take a while to recover. And then there will be something else, you know, right. the Zika virus, the SARS, the, right. this, it's going to be, an, it's, you know, there's always going to be something with travel. We went from travel shaming earlier in the year, which is unfortunate, um, but not deadly. Um, so I think what, you know, we have to really continue to think about sustainability, wellness, um, and the value in bringing people together face to face and, and proving that value. No question. Well said. Well, that was a great, I think that was a great way to end the show today. Thank you so much, Tahira, for um, being our guest today. And thank you, Matthew, for, for joining us from the team. Nice um, to I see you, Matthew. Nice to see you, Good to always. see both of you. <laughs> nice to see you both. It was really great um, having you on. And so this has been episode eight of Inside Events by Swapcard, and we will catch you next time. Tweet at us with the hashtag InsideEvents and be sure to subscribe to get each episode as they drop.